grew up in this place, I saw these things happen in my community. At the very young age, I am exposed to drug selling, drug abuse, and drug running. Lorega is a ring in the air. If you say Lorega, then people will always associate you with drug addiction, with prostitution. Child protection is really one of the most important thing that we, uh, partners of Compassion, can do to help the child. I asked them what are the dreams, and most of the mother cried. So I changed the question and I said, okay, if you don't have a dream for yourself, what is your dream for your children? And they cry more. And uh, after talking to more than 200 parents, I can't sleep. I can't sleep because imagining and thinking about I will be ministering to this place where people don't have really dreams. When I was young, I don't have any hope. But then, when I came to know the Lord, it makes something new. He molded me into a beautiful one because of the hope that He gave me. It's really my dream that they can really be released from poverty in all aspects and can be an influencer in their community. I am now a teacher, so now, I can teach more students, I can teach more children, mothers, because God teach me. And I want to use my life as a living testimony to those people who don't know Christ yet. Lorega now is totally different. Before, every taxi driver will not come inside Lorega, shooting every day. But Lorega now is uh, totally open with the gospel. I am here standing in front of you because I am one of those children. My sponsor was from the U.S. Through her, I am now a graduate student of the Bible School. I always dream with our children because their lives have been giving hope in the community. When other children will see them, it inspires others. Compassion International, the staff, the caseworker, plays a major role to instill into the child that there is hope in spite of poverty. And Lorega now is a, is a better place than before. I can say that God is my redeemer. God is my cornerstone. and he has done beautiful things in my life. It's a pretty powerful video, isn't it? And I have to speak after that. But I want to speak about one word today in compassion and in um, what Sharon and I will share from God's word, and it's transformation and I've changed my slide where normally it says you know Hills Church sponsoring I put transforming because I want I want that word to stick with you today I was at a church two months ago just down um, on the Gold Coast and I shared this video and uh, at the table afterwards where people come and sponsor as some of you will today this uh, a Filipino lady came up to me with tears in her eyes and she said I was from Larega she said that's what it was like that's what it was like but it's changed it's changed. So uh, I, that it made the video more powerful for me because here was a, a lady from there and um, showing what difference it made. And I don't think it's, it's any coincidence that James was here talking about India and talking about the percentage of people uh, of the number being 
become Christian in that one area. So I want to talk about transformation. What's possible? Now God says he, he can do imme- immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I think in the West sometimes we've stopped imagining. And we become complacent and we just start to drift. And that's why I love working with compassion. Because when I go and visit, we're just starting trips again. I'm desperate to get back to the field because these people inspire me. When I look at what they do in poverty, I come back here and I start looking at the church and say, well, imagine what we can do with the resources that we have available. And yet we're not doing half as much. And so I think we need a kick up the pants or a gentle encouragement, whichever you take, whichever analogy you need. Um, but um, I wanted just to say, first of all, thank you. 65 kids that you are transforming the lives of. Thank you. On behalf of those kids that um, where you're giving regularly, some of you aren't writing quite so regularly, please write, please write. We think the answer to poverty is money. It's not. It's not. It's relationship. It's relationship. So the letters mean a lot. If you want to know how to get the letter writing onto your phone, come see me afterwards. It's so easy. I write all my letters on my phone. Um, it's a much easier way to write. And you can do it's more like writing a long text than a letter. Much easier to do. So um, thank you for those who are sponsoring. Thank you in advance for those who are going to sponsor today. We don't know that yet. But um, thank you for those that will. Um, but also for those who are, please, please um, do write. On the next slide, if you don't know much about compassion and how we operate, um, talk to James because he, he, we used to be in India and then sadly we weren't allowed to put funding into that country anymore. So we had to pull out. It was devastating. Uh, it was my second week with compassion when that news came out. And I remember our CEO at the time, Tim Hanna, standing next to um, Jim Bond, and that's not right, John Bond, I just get James and John. John Bond standing on the platform together, trying to speak, trying to pray and just weeping. And that was my introduction to compassion. And um, that says a bit about the heart of what the organisation is, um, is about. So um, James here knows a bit about compassion as well from India. So three things that we, we really are about how we, we do our mission statement of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name is, is threefold. Firstly, we're Christ-centred. We're all about Jesus. Um, I was just reminded of this recently. There was a, a, a marketing organisation that Compassion International um, employed to say, can you help us to see how can we spread the word more? How can we be more effective in telling people about the needs? And one of the things they said was, if you tone down the Jesus element, you'd be able to get into more businesses and more people. So they took very seriously, listened very carefully to what he said and decided to tone up the Jesus element. And um, we saw more kids sponsored that year than ever before. So um, that tells you something about that we're Christ-centered. Same with child focus, because we want to see transformation. And, and one of the ways to be able to do that is if you can start with the child and give them clean water, nourishing food, access to education, a mentor, um, a discipleship program that introduces them to Jesus right early on, and you can help them right from that start, really from, from the womb right through to the end of university, then you're giving them the, 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 the hope for the best start possible to get away so they can be the ones to lift their families out of poverty. So we do that on the, long, on the long haul. So it's holistic child development over spiritual. We look at um, um, spiritual life. It's, it's an amazing discipleship program that Compassion Run. That's what you're having to, to, to fund for your child. We help them physically, help them to have some, um, have some fun. Play with other kids in a safe environment. You saw the, on the video, it's kind of like a gated community, a safe place where they can be children and enjoy sport and those things. Um, we want to help them um, educationally. I've mentioned a bit about that already. And also we want to help them socio-emotionally. 
And that's often areas neglected. If you think of a, of a child born into poverty, their parents have been in poverty, maybe the grandparents too, it's really hard to dream big. Hence the pastor in Larega saying, when he talked about dream, they just cried because there was no dream. There was no hope, no hope for their, for their children. They couldn't see beyond just what they were facing day by day. And so we want to help people socio-emotionally. And our previous um, president of Compassion International said this to a child. He said, you may be in poverty, but poverty doesn't have to be in you. And I think that's a really powerful statement. Um, so we want to help kids over those four areas, and that's what sponsorship does. And then um, finally, we're church-based. So all that I've mentioned, all you saw on there, is not done by compassion. It's done by people like you in the local church. So when you sponsor, you empower the local church to reach out to those in extreme poverty around them. What an opportunity that is. Um, Nathan has, has been over, and he's, we were just talking about a pastor, Somsack, that we both met, 65-year-old pastor then. So he will be 70 now, still going, planted a church, never been on a plane in his life. Um, only, only educated to primary school, but the most um, inspiring. Um, uh, I know Nathan left his iPad with him because <laughs> he was trying to learn English and wanted to connect. Um, just the most amazing, um, amazing guys. So there are some phenomenal people out there, um, and Nathan's seen firsthand what we are about. Um, on the next slide, extreme poverty is going up. So pre-COVID... Um, it was declining. Since the 90s, extreme poverty has been declining by about 1% one, about 1 a year, roughly, until COVID, and now it's gone up through the roof. In fact, we're living in unprecedented times. We're in having what's, what's now been termed the global food crisis. So we had you know, COVID been unprecedented, and now we've got another thing. And it's an accumulation of a number, a number of things that have caused this. A bit of climate change things, some, um, some wars in, in particular areas, um, some famines have happened, extreme weather conditions. There's a whole mix of things going on that have caused this. But if you want to remember the number, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, remember that one? Okay, three, four, five, 345 million people won't eat today. No food. It's unprecedented what we're in at the moment. The, the number behind me, even bigger, 648 million people living on less than $3.20 a day. What does 348 million look like? Um, let's take the population of Australia, add in um, the Kiwis as well. Let's, um, we've heard the US mentioned, let's add in the population of the US, and I'm from the Pommy land, let's add in the Poms as well. Add all those together, you know we're close. It's a huge number of people living in extreme poverty. So my challenge this morning is to help transform um, a nation. You might think, oh, yeah, but it's too, I can't change the world. But you can change the world for a child. And it's amazing what they can do. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So my challenge is you might already be sponsoring a child, but if a there behind me is at $3.20. Now, we can't live on $3.20 a day here. It's not possible with our food prices and house prices and all of that. But could you put aside $3.20 a day? Could you put aside the amount of money that some people are trying to live on in extreme poverty? Could you put that aside to give that towards children in poverty? If you do that, that's enough money to sponsor two children. So $48 a month, $1.60 a day, depends how, you, how your finances work. But is that possible for you? 
There's some of you that have got, um, some of you might think, I, I don't know if I could do 320. Well, maybe you could do one, you know, one child, $1.60 a day. But there's others of you who, who might be like the gentleman that came to me at a, without a church um, three months ago. And um, I'd spoken at the morning service and we had a number of kids sponsored and they asked me to speak at their night church and I spoke at that as well. And no one came to the table. And I was, I must confess, I was feeling a little sorry for myself. You know, I'd, I'd got a two and a half hour or so drive home and I was just thinking, uh, maybe I shouldn't have done this one, you know, and, and to my shame, the way I was feeling. And um, because no one came at all and not even having a conversation with them, I'm standing around there on my own feeling a bit left out and sorry for myself. And so I'm just contemplating packing up, having been there for about 20 minutes. And a gentleman comes up to the table and he just starts looking and he starts like doing this with his finger from the, the kids' profiles that were left on the table. And then he said, yeah I, think, yeah, I think I can do that. So I said, so who would you like to sponsor? Oh, he said, all of them. Sponsored 14 children. So I meet some amazing people that, that humble me. And um, so some people have a... Um, you know, a capability. Some people have access to trust funds and those kind of things. And we do mainly sponsorship, but there are some other um, things, that, other projects that we do as well that, that some companies um, get behind. So if, if that gets your attention, you're interested to know some more, please come and speak to me afterwards. I'll be glad to give you some more information about that. Okay. We're kind of switching gears, but we're not. Because everything compassion is about is about transformation. We want to transform children's lives. We want to see them come to know Jesus. We want to see their family transformed out of poverty into having enough. We want to see them grow and flourish um, where they are, to have hope. And we're all about transformation. And that's what Jesus is about in us, isn't it? That our lives would be transformed and so um, with this topic of transformation and some discussions that we've, um, I've had with, with Nathan over, over years, it's something that I've been thinking more and more about, that I've been in church world for 30 years, Christian ministry, full-time Christian ministry for 30 years. And I still remember what it was like in the work workplace when I was a mechanic. And it was tough. The people I worked with didn't really want to know about Jesus. And I remember this lady here, my wife, would come home every week, at least every week, she would come home with this amazing story of, of sharing faith and, and, and something that happened at work. And I think, right, I'm going to try harder, you know. It never worked for me that way. <laughs> but I, um, uh, Sharon, come on up. And um, Sharon has seen remarkable transformation. So three aspects. Um, uh, we're going to pick up on one of them just because of time um, this morning. But the, the, the first aspect that she seen was transformation in a neighborhood. So um, when, we, when we, in the UK, we moved, we had a um, young son, he was only 10 days old, and we didn't know anybody. But by the end of our time there, 12 people from our street had come, for, had come to faith. And their families started coming to church. I think that's transformation. Yeah. Would you not agree with that? We saw transformation in the local church where we were pastoring, and a lot of that was we were working together. Sharon headed up a lot of the, the women's ministry and saw an incredible transformation there. And then we moved here. And Sharon has seen incredible transformation in her workplace. So she's a midwife, um, nurse prior to that. And um, she's not wanting to do this, by the way. She's, she's actually desperate to get to work. <laughs> um, seriously. So this, we haven't done this for a long time. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, but just a little, little snippet of what it's like for her at work, that she's dealing with emergencies. She's dealing with hierarchy of hospital. 
Um, she's a team lead, so she's running, um, she's running the ward. She's having to liaise with the doctors, with staff, with, with mums who are having the highs of joy and, and trauma and emotions that are... I mean, guys, you know what, you, what women's emotions are like. I'm on dangerous ground here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put, put a baby, a new baby into the mix, and that goes through the roof. So she's dealing with all that stuff every day, stuff and people. And then, and then I hear these stories that come, and they, they excite me. So, Sharon, um, can you tell us, so Workplace, when, you, when we arrived in Australia from the UK in 2008, what was, what was work like, and then what's it like now? Hello, everyone. Um, it's so good to be with you. I love your church. Let me firstly say I, I just love being here in your worship. It's so powerful and intimate, and I really appreciate you guys. And, uh, and talking of transformation, I, as I walked in and I saw around last week, I thought, man, look at the transformation in your buildings, isn't it? And I looked up in AI, you know, as you do, what is transformation? It's a marked change in the form and nature or appearance of something. So transformation is always when, in a sense, something has been hard and then it changes. And um, so I'm here to talk about transformation of the workplace. Firstly, I'd like to say I absolutely am passionate about being a midwife. I spy out bellies everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's a phenomenal, a privilege um, job. And I've worked in lots of different areas of it. And um, right from bereavement... Um, through to helping women who are infertile and the whole grief that can come on the other side of that. Um, so it's a, a great, great passion. So I'm going to share just a snippet. And I have written things down because if not, I probably could talk for about three hours and um, we would need to be handing lunch around. So I won't do that. Um, anyway, we arrived here, as Simon said, in 2008. Um, been here for 15 years. Um, we all didn't just change cities, we changed countries. We moved from the other side of the world with five school-aged children, had to settle them in schools. Um, Simon was the pastor at Arana. So there were many, many big changes. And the one thing I thought I'd got was I am a midwife. I've worked in a few hospitals in the UK. Work will be okay. How wrong I was. For me, I was used to driving four minutes around the corner to go to work. And, um, and here I am in this massive city. And I kind of drove in with Simon to think if I could drive in. And I thought, not in a million years. I'm not actually even going to make it to work if I have to drive. So I spent the first year driving to the train station, getting on the train. Then I realised that here in Australia, your trains run on time, if not early. So I actually missed the train once because we're from near London and everything's at least half an hour to an hour late. So, um, so there were so many challenges. And then I got to work, realised I was on the top floor of the building and that I suffer from vertigo. So the, the windows are going right to the ground and I'd find myself walking at the other side of the ward for the first few days before I acclimatized. So it was, it was difficult. My second day there, I was told um, by one of the lovely educators that, welcome Sharon, you've arrived yourself on the black sheep ward of the whole hospital. Um, this is the place that no one wants to work. It's really difficult. And, um, and I found that was the case. It was really, really challenging. It was not the lovely, warm, nurturing um, experience that I was hoping for of welcome, Sharon, to your ward. We're glad you've come the other side of the world to come and help us. Um, not like that at all. And I'm sure some of you here would relate to that in the workplace. Sometimes 
it's really tough, isn't it? And, um, you know, there was a lot of intimidation. Midwives are very powerful people, generally, a lot of that type A personality. And, um, and I was trying to navigate my way through that. So what did I do? It wasn't at that point that I put my hands in the air and said, God, can you send a revival? That was not what my prayer looked like. It was like this. It was, God, you just got to help me. I just need to survive. I just need to learn their ways. I need to, please don't let, I, I would pray on the train in. That was a 30-minute um, train ride. And all of that was spent me just praying those heartfelt prayers that Jesus taught us to pray away in our locked room wasn't it intimate cries to the father help me please let no one come to any harm as a result of me trying to navigate the system here it was hard at that first three months I I didn't think I was going to make it and yet my back was to the wall because you understand it was my job that was going to keep us in Australia. So we brought our whole family over. We'd been welcomed into this beautiful church. If I didn't make it, we were home. We had to go back to England. So it was very tough. And I remember praying to God, you've got to give me a, a thread. I, I just can't do this. And then I discovered this lady on my ward who was a fairly new Christian called Anna. And um, I told her how I was feeling. I was thinking of seeing if I could jump ship to another hospital and um, because it was so hard. And she said to me, Sharon, I believe that you're the reason you need to be here for transformation. That's why you're here. I know it's really tough. And at the time, I didn't really want to hear that, but it kept kind of like <laughs> revolving around in my head. And, and she said, how about together we pray for transformation of this place. And we started to pray, not just then for survival, but actually thinking about the other stuff and praying for them. And when you pray for others, you start to behave differently. You start to love people. And, um, and that became the deal. And look, jumping five minutes, um, five years forward, um, I remember going in for my annual review to my boss and I sat down and she looked me in the eye and she said, Sharon, something magical has happened in this place. She said, do you remember when the hospital opened and you came five years ago? We had a revolving door of staff. People would come and leave a few months later, like I wanted to. And, um, and she said, now, let me tell you, Peter, people are fighting over trying to get a job on this ward. She said, it's just magical. And I said to her, it's not magic. <laughs> And I told her what had happened. I told her about Anna and I. I said, we've prayed every day. You know, and you get that sort of response, don't you, sometimes? Like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, that's, if that's what you think. But, um, <laughs> but I knew that God had been at work. He had brought more Christians in. A lot of the strong bullies had left or retired. And the ones that were left, because of the newness and the love, they didn't have a voice to be nasty as much. That's transformation. And um, so it was quite phenomenal. But in the journey of that, I always think that sowing is often hard, isn't it? But reaping is, you know, even greater when the sowing's hard. And um, I heard a great statement from Tim Keller, which I loved. And it says, um, we as Christians should live our lives in such a way that the only explanation is the gospel. And, um, and I really believe that. So now, 15 years later, like Simon says, I'm really part of the furniture there. I've gone up the ranks, I've done education, and my passion now is nurturing new staff. 
I love welcoming people, whether it's in church or at work, and making them feel nurtured, um, making them feel secure and educated. So I've done a lot of education. And two years ago, it was marked by the hospital management that our ward was so sought after and so full of love that women were asking to come to the ward. And it was becoming quite embarrassing. So they were choosing our ward all the time they heard about it. And the other ward was getting left behind. So the management decided to let us infiltrate the other ward. So that's multiplication, isn't it, in, in, in transformation. So we all kicked and screamed a bit initially because we all quite liked what we had. Um, because it's nice living when you're in transformation, isn't it? Then everything's different. So that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. And now we've really become one unit and it really works. Um, so I guess, um, look... My most recent story or big story was a couple of years ago, one of my colleagues was killed in a road traffic accident and, and it was devastating. You know, no one knew what to do. And um, there was a few days of just kind of quiet and what do we do? And a couple of the staff asked me and then it went through to management, would I run a memorial service for her in the botanical gardens? Now, I was thinking, if you'd have said that to me 15 years ago, I would have definitely got on that plane and gone back to England. And, and I was still nervous about doing that because I'm not a pastor and I've never run anything like that. But God provided for me, if I told you the story, of so many miracles for that day where he helped me. And there were 36 chairs and 36 people came and sat there, management of the hospital, all sorts of people. And it was a phenomenal time of God's blessing. And I thought, Lord, you have truly transformed this place and you have truly transformed me in it. I think one thing as well, my last thing just in this section is um, to live that transformed life at work. There's no shortcuts, is there? Um, I think it's always good early on to try and find some way to let people know who you are, that you are a Christian. Um, but also remember, they are watching you. It's not just what you say, it's how you behave, it's going the extra mile. It's being curious, listening to people, coming back to them and, and, and real kindness as well. Yeah. That gives you a little bit of insight. And I have another question that I'm going to ask you at the end, that's mm. all right. So my other question is going to be, what did it look like? What does the conversations look like? That, you know, it's great to hear what it was like and then hear kind of this is what it's become. But there's, there's those years of the hard graft, and you've heard a bit about prayer in there as well. And it really picks up with what Nathan shared last week. And I ducked in at the back last week, and I was just really excited to the point that I came down the front and said, Nathan, that is such a precursor to what I've been wanting to share um, today. So if you can remember what he shared from Peter last week. I'm watching people looking at the floor. No, 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 you're, you're all good. Um, let me just grab my bag here. Because I want to look at, um, just for a few minutes, and we're going to kind of whiz through this passage, but I want to do this in a very, very visual way. I'm going to give you another word. I, I know like you usually to do one word, but, but you know, you're mature people. You can cope with two words, can't you? So transformation. My um, second word is layers. So in a sense, you put it together. It'd be transformation layer by layer. Layer by layer. And in this passage, Paul um, talks about um, layers. And um, I, I got my inspiration of The Onion from Shrek, one of my favourite kids' movies. If you've seen the movie, there's a bit where Shrek is walking along with Donkey. This is Talking Donkey. And, uh, um, and, and 
Shrek the ogre is trying to describe what ogres are like, and he says, ogres are like onions. They have layers. So what you see is not always what's on the inside. You know, that's that picture. And so it might just help to remember this message um, about layers. So I wonder if on the next slide, if we can get the next slide up, I wonder if we can read this together. It's going to hone in on these few verses. So Paul has at the beginning, he's talked about transformation through Christ at the beginning of the chapter. And then he's talked about what Nathan talked about last week, which was the putting off putting off of the rubbish of the old stuff. Don't be like that. Don't live like this. You've died to those things. Do away with those. And then he comes to this section, which is what we're looking at today. So let's, um, can we read this together? Okay, let's go after three. One, two, three. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's quite a simple passage, really, isn't it? But what does it look like? Which is really what the message that Sharon has said. So transformation. Wow, went from this to this. And wow, how great is that? And now, now we're infiltrating the other ward and all of that. That is fantastic. But what does it really look like on a daily, day-to-day basis? Well, Paul says, I want you to put on compassion. Now, it's my two eldest sons um, who inspired this message. Some of you have met my eldest son, Joe. Um, and my youngest son, Josh, they've been doing a lot on the building around here, but I have another son in the middle there called Ben as well, and he's done a bit of work for Eric as well. And um, when my two oldest, Joe and Ben, when they were really little, they would on occasions, because they would always be up to something, you know, create your own fun was think their motto, um, and they would do this thing every now and again where they would put on as many clothes as they could. So they would just everything, you know, six T-shirts, four pairs of pants, and you know, underwear, socks, Beanies, the works, jackets. So they'd, they'd come downstairs, because our bedrooms were upstairs, they'd come down like little Mitchell men, you know, couldn't, you know, you know, couldn't get their arms down, and, and, and they looked hilarious, and they would just do this on, on, on a number of occasions. And it's when I read this passage, that was the image in my mind of what Paul is saying. It's put some layers on. Layer up. Put on compassion. What is great, great passage for me, working for compassion. But what, is, what does compassion mean? Literally, sit with this is my wife. Sit with. You know, when you, when you write a letter to your child, what you're really doing with them is sitting with them. And I know they're in Thailand and you're here, but you're still sitting with them, having some empathy, having read their letter. Sit with them for a bit. What's it like for them? What they might be feeling? And then on the back of that, writing your letter. And, and sometimes I, I, I joke a little about this. It's a bit of a um, broad brush joke of the men-women thing, but... A lot of blokes are fixers. You know, we like to solve issues and solve problems and mend things. And we like to mend our wives. But often they don't want to be mended. Not that they're broken. I'm going to get in big trouble here. Um, but, um, and I'm still learning this because my default is to fix. If my wife comes home and it's been a, a tough day, um, I'm, I am learning that I need to zip this and just let her talk. Sit with Compassion. Sit with her. Let her spill of her day. She doesn't need me to fix her. She needs me to empathize. She needs me to listen. And that she knows I'm with her. 
and I feel for her that she's had a bad day. Is that making sense? That's compassion. That's compassion. It's not about fixing. It's about being there. And next, next Paul says, um, put on kindness. Notice he doesn't say take compassion off. Layers. Put on kindness. I, I was inspired by this word with, you think I'm a movie junkie here, with um, Cinderella. When Disney put out a movie of Cinderella, the acted version, and there's this point where, where Cinderella is kneeling beside her dying mother and her mum is giving her the last few words. The, these are the last things she's going to say to her daughter before she passes away. And, and she says this to Cinderella, have courage and be kind. Have courage and be kind. And Cinderella is a bit of a blubbering mess and can't kind of, oh, I don't know what to do. And, you know. and her mum looks at her and says this, Cinderella, you have more kindness in your little finger than most people possess in their entire bodies. What a fa fabulous statement. You know, as believers of Jesus, that should be true of every one of us. Why? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and he is kind. He is also compassionate. And he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he abounds in love. So we of all people should be people that stand out as being people who have far more of those, those good qualities. If you like the flip side of what Nathan was talking about last week, we put off this other stuff and we should be getting rid of that and so layered up with all of this that it stands out that we are really different and that Christ lives in us. Okay, what we got next? Humility. <laughs> you know, um, humility, there's a lot about, you know, push on, go higher, go harder. And God says go lower. Not be a walkover. It takes a huge amount of courage and boldness to walk in humility. Far more than the egotistical people that just plough through and destroy people. Takes a huge amount more to be shrewd, to be wise, to be full of grace, and to walk humbly and lead from that position is really hard. Your pastor does that well, by the way. You don't need me to tell you that, you know that. What's next? Gentleness. Gentleness. <laughs> Gentleness. I don't know if I wanted to say much more about these. You get in the picture? Literally? Gentleness? Patience? You know, and I think the amazing thing is, when you choose to live like this, I don't mean, by look, I don't mean look ridiculous, <laughs> but when you choose to live, live like this, the next layer comes easier when you're already wearing the other ones. You know, when you've, when you've chosen to be compassionate and sit with someone, it's a lot easier to be kind. And when you've been kind, it's a lot easier to be gentle. And when, you know, it, it flows on that way, which is why I think this is the image he's saying, clothe yourself with, clothe yourself with. And then he goes on to say, bear with each other. You in for the long haul? So you've heard that from my wife, drip feed. What did it look like for her? Layers over years to see transformation happen. Forgive one another. If you have a grievance against someone, you don't like how someone was operating, Forgive because God's forgiven you. When you didn't deserve it, he forgave you, gave you the benefit of the doubt. And we need to be the same as that. And then he says, 
over all these virtues. Let me just borrow my wife again. Well, you have to come up here anyway for the next bit to wrap up. It says over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a great picture, isn't it? And I think the thing about this image of putting this on over them all is there's always enough to share. There's always enough to go around. And there's room for another one, you know? <laughs> Layers. Transformation layer by layer. I'm getting rather warm here. Which, interesting, is a great synonym of gentleness. You know, that people who are gentle, we say they're a very warm person. We don't mean they're hot and sweaty, but they exude something. There's something about them. So, um, Sharon, as we wrap up, can you give us some snippets of what, you know, what did it look like day by day? What were some of the in-between things in between that, set, you know, the, the difficulty of... Um, was like this, and you, you, you long for this, and you're praying for this, but you're also working in it. Tell us some stories. I guess when um, you get to know people in that, and they know who you are, then you create a platform for them to come to you, to talk to you about things. And um, so I, I don't think, I'm sure you would be aware that it'd be the same. I don't go to work thinking, right, how can I share the gospel today? You know, I'm off on a late shift this afternoon. Um, however, it's a living, breathing part of us, isn't it? That's who we are. Christ is in us. But I am intentional at the same time. So my intentionality isn't in just sharing the gospel. It's saying, well, getting interested in people's lives, like how are you? And remembering what they said. So next time, how did that go? And listening to them is a long lost skill, isn't it? Of listening to other people and then praying for them, particularly when they're going through hard times and praying for people makes you fall in love with them because honestly, not everybody's nice. Um, so it really kind of helped with that. Um, I'll just share a snippet of a few stories on the um, because of time, but there have been countless stories. And if anyone wants to have a chat over coffee or meet up. I'm very happy and to help you in your workplace if there's anything I can do to help. So these are stories of people who are not like me. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, this great evangelist saying, you can always find something in common with anybody. And I believe that's true. And that can be the link for the gospel. So here's my first one. Really good friend of mine from the UK as well. So we shared a bit in common. And Quite a few years in, I found that she'd been brought up in a spiritualist church. So there was a curiosity in her of my faith, um, but I hadn't known all about her history. So I started lending her things. We would have conversations, one night shift. The only good thing about night shift is that people will talk because they're a bit undone because they're so tired. But that is the only good thing about night shift. So... Um, <laughs> So we're, where we are in the middle of the night, and we've both been listening to Harry Potter on the Audible. Lovely Stephen Fry, it was brilliant. And I realised there was an allegory in Harry Potter. And as she was telling me about it, and she was saying how afraid she was of, the, of anything evil, like Satan, and obviously the church she'd been brought up, there was an understanding why she might be afraid. And we started talking about it and we got into some of the characters and it was amazing, this opportunity to actually share the gospel according to Harry Potter. Well, I never ever thought I would be able to do that. But so God, I think, drops things in your mind that makes you relate to where they are, um, whether you agree with it or not, that's OK. It's a way of just sowing seeds. Another dear friend of mine who is a Hindu, 
She um, is beautiful. I'd only been there about three or four years and her husband, her, her husband of 40 years old, died suddenly. And it was a horrendous journey. She was off for months because she loved him so much. She couldn't get herself back to work. And when she came back, I was the first one who saw her and we hugged and cried and, and she journeyed. She was troubled. And again, on one night shift, I went to the other end of the ward and I found her on the computer looking at how to find a medium. And so I said, oh, what are you doing? And she said, oh, well, what do you think about this in your Christian faith? And you know what? We all have a moment there, don't we, of like, let's come up with the right answer. And, um, but I didn't. I put my hand on her and she put her head down and then I embraced her and she sobbed. And I said to her, you must miss him so much. I said, I understand how much you must want to hear him again. And we just talked about that. And then came this moment when she looked at me and she said, Sharon, where is he now? That had my attention. How do you answer that? But you know what? I did answer that. But I'm not going to tell you my answer. But what I will tell you was, is what was important, that she felt safe to ask me the question. Yeah. Because that's relationship, isn't it? And relationship is very, very important, I believe, in sharing the gospel. My third quick story, talking about people who are nothing like you, is, um, is um, my cocktail friend. So I have never had a cocktail, really. Well, I have now, actually, after a bad emergency at work one night. But um, <laughs> no, I have. I've had a cocktail. But at that point, I hadn't. So this is my cocktail friend. And... Um, and, and I could see nothing that was anything like her in me. I thought, how on earth am I going to relate to her? And very different character, party girl, and the rest I won't tell you. But one evening, I suddenly felt curious, you see, and I said to her, oh, I don't know anything much really about cocktails. Can you tell me about them? Then we got on to wines and what's the most expensive wine that she's ever had. And, um, and I was kind of genuinely interested. And then it popped into my head. I said to her, oh, you know what? I remember last Good Friday, my husband was doing communion at the church and he asked somebody to get the most expensive wine they could ever find. And he poured that wine all over everything. There was like a shock around us because I think people could smell the aroma thinking, what are you doing wasting that wine? Um, it was just amazing. But what a demonstration of what Christ did and the price that he paid in shedding his blood. And I told her that. And I thought, you see, this is the key. She may never, ever hear anything about the gospel again, but she heard that that day. And she sat there and looked at me and I could see the cogs turning. And I said, so when you drink your expensive wine, why don't you remember what I said? Because he is the life-changing one. Anyway, I could go on and on and on with stories and I won't do that anymore. And sometimes it doesn't always go well. I know when I was running the, doing the roster, people get a bit kind of precious about the roster, understandably, because it's a bit of their life. And someone yelled at me down the ward because they didn't like their roster. There's no way you're a Christian right in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it hurts, doesn't it? It's like it hurts. And and as much as, I don't know about you, but when you get opportunities, there's like a fire in my belly of him with me. I feel like he's saying, go girl, go girl. But when it's hurtful too, he's still with me. And he's like, it's okay, 
I'm with you. You're going to have moments like that. My premise is, is that Jesus is irresistible and that he died for the whole world, everybody on my ward, everybody. And all it is is that they just don't know him yet. And so that's what I'm tapping into. He is truth. And whether they take it well or not, he still is the truth. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, it is the power of God. He has transformed my life. Why would he not want to do it for others? So that's enough of me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Grab, grab a seat. I hope that stories visual will stick. I prayed this at the beginning, and I pray this pretty much every church I go to. Please, God, deliver us from, from going out the same way as we came in. And I don't mean go out of a different door. <laughs> but let's go out transformed. Let's go out with a, a realisation that we can be people of transformation, and we're meant to be, because that's what God is like. And so just bring it down as I pray to, to close that the worship band can come up. Um, this, um, sorry? Okay, all right. So this guy, Chip, He's from Thailand. He is um, grade two university. So he's not got long to go. So his sponsor has probably pulled out. There's some older kids that I've got out there. It might be, you could think, I could do that for an, an older child just for a couple of years, one to two years. Um, so there's some older kids as well as some younger ones there. But to bring transformation to his life and help him finish well, there's a number of kids out there that need sponsors. Some have been waiting a very long time. So there's that compassion opportunity but there's also make a difference where you are you know we want to make a difference in Thailand but you want to make a difference in your street in your workplace the people that you rub shoulders with so let me pray for us father I thank you for the fact that you are the a transformational God that you have um, sent your son who in a sense was transformed became fully human to be um, give us an example of what it's what it's um, looks like to to um, to be fully human. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. And I just pray for every person here in the room. Father, you know about individual situations, struggles with relationships, difficult and toxic workplaces. Father, you know all about those things. And you're bigger than them all. And I pray that, Father, somehow from today, our problems would um, seem smaller as we look at how great you are. And as we began by worshipping you, we, we, we just come back to you, Father, and say we praise you. We praise you on your name, that, that the nations are but a drop in the bucket to you. You're in the cattle on a thousand hills. You're faithful. You endure from generation to generation. And we can trust you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to put that trust into action as we go into this week. But this week will be the start of seeing transformations that we'll start hearing about some years down the track. But it was in that service where I started to take you really seriously, Father. So, Father, would you do a work in us? Transform us that we might be used to transform others. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.